You're listening to Fit Girl, your guide to getting in shape, the podcast dedicated to helping you separate fact from fiction in fitness. For more details about this podcast and other episodes, visit fitgirlpodcast.com. This is podcast episode number 299. In this episode, the one thing you already do every single day that impacts how fast you can get a lean and sculpted body. But if you don't pay attention to this, you'll gain weight, especially belly fat. And in exercise, a series to separate fact from fiction of common exercises that won't give you the results you want or expect from them and what is better for you to do. As we start to close out another year, it's time to think about what we wanted to accomplish this past year and what we can maybe set as new goals for the new year. And one of them definitely should be doing exercises that are effective and finding out what exercises are effective for the different goals that you have. If you keep doing the same things over and over again and expect different results, that's what Einstein said is insanity. So if you're insane, keep doing the same things over and over and expect different results. If you're not, then you might want to listen to the next two exercises I'm going to talk about. They are ones that you see people doing all of the time in the gym, and they really are not effective, especially the way most people do them. The first one is the hanging leg raise, or you can even think of it as leg lifts, basically keeping the legs straight and either swinging them or lifting them from the floor and expecting that to target the abdominals. And I do have a video on YouTube about this. And you'll definitely want to check that out because some of the visuals are a little easier to understand than just the words. But when you're doing the hanging leg raise, you are primarily using the abdominals in an isometric way. That means they're bracing you, but they're not initiating any of the movement. So you may feel them, but you're not really working them because they are not the prime mover for that exercise. And that's where a lot of people get confused because they think they feel them or the abdominals do fatigue, but they're not really using them. So they don't they don't get stronger and the abdominals don't get any flatter. And it really doesn't make a difference because you can do all the abdominal exercises you want. And if you've got belly fat covering them, you're never going to see your abdominals. When it comes to getting abdominals, your diet, your nutrition is more important than your exercises. And in reality, the exercises you normally do will work the abdominals almost the same, if not better, than any hanging leg raise or any leg raise type exercise. Now, what you should be doing when it comes to abdominals are things that will flex the spine. That's what works the abdominals when they move the lower spine or the upper spine. So whether you're doing crunches or crunches on the stability ball, or whether you're doing the reverse crunch, also known as a pelvic tilt, those are the two main moves to work the abdominals directly. Now, when you're going to work the lower abdominals in a reverse type crunch, yes, you can make it harder by putting the legs straight in the air. The problem is that unless you are tilting that lower half of your body, not using the legs, but you're tilting it by use of the abdominals, you won't be working it. And that's what happens when most people get into the Roman chair or they use the hanging straps to do leg lifts. They start swinging. They never really get that pelvic tilt action. Now, if you're doing it very, very slowly and you get that pelvic tilt action in the air and then you control that all the way down, you're going to be lucky if you can get three or four repetitions. Yes, that would be the right way to do it. And in all honesty, in all my years 
in the gyms, I've only seen maybe two or three people actually be able to do them correctly for more than about five repetitions. And that takes an incredible amount of strength and one that you're not going to get if you're just working out a couple of times a week and not really focusing on strength. When you focus on strength in all of the other exercises, that's what's going to build the abdominals. Your heavy lifting of maybe six reps or even eight reps that's very, very challenging to your body of these bigger movements like your squats and your deadlifts and your rows and your pull-ups, those are going to engage your abdominals tremendously to keep your spine safe and to keep your body stable. And that is the best way to work your abdominals. When I was doing competitions, I didn't even have to train abdominals directly because they were getting worked in all the other movements. And I was pretty well known for having very shredded abs. It's not from direct abdominal work. It's from doing all of the other things that you're supposed to do or that works as far as exercise and eating right and all that kind of stuff. Just doing a specific motion and feeling it somewhat in a certain muscle doesn't necessarily mean that that muscle is doing the work. You have to know that that muscle is initiating the work and controlling the work in order for that muscle to change. And that's something you're going to need to do the next time you train abdominals. When it comes to abdominal training with my clients, I only focus on the pelvic tilt or the reverse crunch and then crunches on the stability ball. Sure, there's some other things you can do if you have time to kill and you want to, but those are the two main basics for strengthening the abdominal muscles all throughout. Of course, planks are great as well for the transverse abdominus, but they're not really going to get that spinal flexion. So you would still need to do the other two. When it comes to leg raises, I never do them in a class. I'll never teach them in a class because I know that they're not going to work the abdominals. And I definitely have never given them to a client. And if we do a hanging leg raise because they're just dying to do it in the Roman chair or with the straps, then they have to do it with the pelvic tilt. And yes, I do have some clients do that. And yeah, they get about five of them, but they're very, very slow controlled reps. And again, when you're using that muscle and think about the abdominals, they're a small muscle group. You're not going to last very long because your legs are heavy. There's a lot more muscle and bone in your legs and your little teeny abdominal muscles have to move that whole entire section. So put that in perspective and really focus on trying to use the abdominals to lift your legs even when you're just doing that reverse crunch and you'll realize that it's not that easy and you definitely should not be able to do 20 to 30 of them. If you are, then you're not doing something right. And that same thing goes for the hanging leg raises. And I say that just because that was the focus of the actual video and because I see everyone in the Roman chair or doing hanging leg raises from the, the straps all the time in the gym and they're swinging back and forth and back and forth. And it's like they're, you're accomplishing nothing, absolutely nothing. So don't do things that are ineffective. It may not be as glamorous to do a reverse crunch or a stability ball crunch, but you want to be able to work and to make that muscle do the work. And that's what you'll be doing in that case. Now, the second exercise is the inner thigh machine. Same kind of concept. People get on it all the time, men and women, and they either go a million repetitions or they go really heavy. The men usually like to add extra plates to the machine, to which I always say, you know what, unless you are Mr. Olympia, seriously, there's no need to add a plate on top of a machine when you already have the stack. You shouldn't even be able to do the stack. The weight machines are designed to challenge you know, pretty much everybody. And even bodybuilders shouldn't really have to go to that max pinned out and then add more weight. Uh, there's probably maybe one or two of them in the world that could if they wanted to, but I can assure you they, they don't because it just doesn't need to be done. Now, the inner thigh machine, the reason I get off on that one is that 
it doesn't do what everybody thinks it does. Everybody that gets on there thinks they're going to burn the fat on their inner thigh and get their thighs thin and get them nice and tight and tone. And that is not what that exercise is for. And that's another one that I pretty much never give to any of my clients unless they have a muscular imbalance. And that's what that machine is really for. It works your adductor muscles. That is the inner thigh muscles. And those muscles can get imbalanced when people walk with their toes really far out, pointed outward, almost like a uh, penguin. Then yes, those adductors are weak. They're not strong enough to keep their foot forward because that's what adductors do. They pull your foot inward so that it stays straight. So if that's an issue, whether it's one leg that goes out more than the other or whether both legs go out tremendously, then yes, that is a machine I will have someone do as a rehab type machine to balance out those muscles because that's certainly going to make a difference in everything else you do if your muscles are imbalanced. And same thing goes for the outer thigh. It kind of goes hand in hand. If you've got the opposite muscular imbalance, then you would do that. But most people are not that severe. Yes, I have had many, but most people aren't that bad that they need to do it. Now, sure, maybe you want to strengthen it a little bit. Maybe you feel like you're weak in that area, but it's not going to burn fat and it never will burn fat. You're better off doing large muscle groups. And so if you want to do exercise to train that inner thigh, maybe you think that inner thigh is weak. Well, rather than doing the inner thigh machine, which would be a waste of time, you're better off doing an exercise that incorporates the inner thigh in the movement. Now, keep in mind that the inner thigh is a small muscle and it is part of your hamstring group. So anytime you're training hamstrings and squats, basically, you're going to be hitting that inner thigh at the same time. So you can target it more, certainly with side lunges or side step-ups, plie squats and deadlifts and one leg deadlifts and pretty much any leg exercise that is a compound movement is going to hit that inner thigh because it has to balance you and it has to keep your foot in a certain position. So you're better off doing a large muscle with a compound exercise that's not only going to incorporate the inner thigh, but it's going to boost the metabolism and boost your overall strength and help you burn fat all day long. One of the reasons I started this podcast was to kind of tell people that, you know what, some of these things that you're doing all the time are not effective and you're wasting your time. And I know that can be frustrating for people and then they end up quitting and they don't get the results they want. The results you want can be found in the gym and by eating the right way. You just have to make sure you're doing the exercises that truly work. And one of the things that's kind of gotten out of hand is on social media, people will do these crazy exercises. And I swear, sometimes they just make them up to see if anybody's going to do them. And people do copy them because they say, oh, that person looks like that. They must know what they're doing and I'm going to copy it. And it's not just social media. I see it in the gym too. I've even had people tell me when I say, why are you doing that exercise? Oh, well, I saw this person that looked in really good shape and I figured they knew what they were doing. I've had that happen not only on the gym floor, but also in a yoga class. You know, somebody that I knew was like, why are you doing that when you're doing the yoga pose? Well, I saw somebody, I thought they knew what they were doing in the class, uh, the previous class. And I thought that was a good idea. You know, it's like, no, you have to apply it for your body type. And that person might not know what they're doing either. So now you're just copying somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. You have to really think and research, especially nowadays when we have all of that information right there at your fingertips, on your phone, on your computer. You can look up anything and you can research deeply to find out the real truth. Yes, if you hit the first couple of links that come up, might not be the right information, but you do need to take your time and do some deeper research to figure out if certain exercises are appropriate for you. Sometimes we have injuries or muscle tightness or muscle imbalances that 
make it actually harmful to do certain exercises that wouldn't be harmful for other people that don't have those issues. So that's why it's always important to do your research and even talk to a trainer about it so that you know you're doing an exercise that is safe for your fitness history. And when I say fitness history, that means not only if you've been consistent in the last year, but all of your history of exercise and movement and different accidents. I mean, things like car accidents 20 years ago can still affect you today. There's a multitude of reasons why you should research an exercise to figure out whether it's appropriate for you and if it's going to give you the results that you are looking to get. Go to my YouTube channel and watch the hanging leg raise video and the inner thigh video. They both say lies in the title because that's the series that I'm doing. I'm pretty sure that you will learn quite a bit from both of those and hopefully be able to make better choices when you are working out. Now, speaking of doing better, we can always do things to improve our health. And there is one thing that we do every single day that we don't pay enough attention to. And this one thing really impacts how fast we can get in shape. And if we don't, it can also make us gain weight pretty easily. And I've been really researching this for this particular podcast because I've heard a lot about it and I just really didn't know enough to be able to talk about it. So, hey, here we are. I'm going to learn and so are you. So that thing is, well, can you guess it first? Well, that thing you do every single day that can impact how fast you can get lean and sculpted and can also make you gain weight if you don't pay attention to it. Well, that thing is sleep and not just sleep, but a proper sleep schedule. So that kind of follows along with not getting enough sleep, restless sleep, poor sleep. All of that can actually make your body store fat and it can increase your belly fat. It can also cause you to not recover fully from your workouts, which in turn will cause muscle loss and that can make it almost impossible to lose weight. And this is all because these poor sleep habits mess up your circadian rhythm. And I know it's like, my what's what? Now that's a phrase we've often heard, but we don't really know what it means. Or at least a lot of people don't know what a circadian rhythm is. And that's your body's internal clock. And it helps to regulate a, a lot of different processes in your body over a 24-hour period. It has to do with staying in sync with natural cycles of day and light. So you can kind of think of it as a built-in schedule that your body follows to know when it's time to wake up and when to be alert, when to be active, when to rest. The issue is that it's not just about sleep and being awake, these rhythms also affect things like our body temperature, hormone levels, and even our mood. And what's important to hear in that sentence is that hormone levels, our hormones play an important role in maintaining muscle and in your body's fat burning processes. So if that's not in check and if that's not working properly, then yeah, we are not going to burn fat well and we are not going to maintain muscle, let alone build muscle. So here's where it's kind of interesting. Sometimes our daily activities and our routines can affect these rhythms and usually they're influenced by external things like the natural light and dark cycle of the day. So when the sun comes up in the morning and it gets bright, it actually signals your body to wake up and to be active. Then as the sun sets and it gets darker, your body gets these same signals to kind of settle down and prepare for sleep. But if you're staying up late or you're not getting enough sleep or quality of sleep, these rhythms get disrupted and your body doesn't function properly not just your brain, but your fat burning, your muscle building, and your recovery. Now, there's actually been quite a lot of research on what these rhythms do with our body and 
with body fat. And there's research that actually suggests there's a big connection between these circadian rhythms and factors related to metabolism, especially fat loss. And that these disruptions in this natural rhythm, which again, from irregular sleep, or maybe even eating at odd hours and then going to sleep, can contribute to metabolic issues, which contribute to obesity. So basically, when this whole system gets disrupted, it can definitely lead to metabolic, what they call dysregulation, and contribute to weight gain. Almost all of your organs and your bodily tissues are under the control of this circadian clock. There was an article published in the leading endocrinology journal that actually stated, and I'm going to quote it, a disrupted circadian rhythm has been shown to be associated with obesity and obesity-related metabolic disorders. So there's your proof. That's why if this system as a whole gets out of sync, it affects that much of your body. So what these studies are actually telling us is that your circadian rhythm or your internal schedule is connected to how your body handles fat and energy. And when that internal schedule gets all messed up, it links to problems like obesity, but it also has other effects like hyperglycemia, insulin resistance, and a whole bunch of other health-related issues. The studies showed that there was more weight gain when the light-dark cycle was altered, including a shorter period and a prolonged period to light as well as blue light. And we're going to get into that as far as the blue light and the phones and all these things that we are normally using right before bed that we really shouldn't be. And that's something that we've known about for a long time, but it hasn't really come to the forefront quite as it has more recently. A lot of the studies were looking at thermogenic fat, and that's the kind that can burn fat and release it as heat, kind of like a little furnace inside your body. And this process helps your body fight against obesity and all the problems that come with it. So that's why when your rhythms, circadian rhythms are disrupted and all these problems come about, your thermogenic fat does not work properly. And if these don't work properly, then your body is not going to burn fat. And so basically they found that when those rhythms get messed up, that thermogenic fat actually shuts off. They call it inactivation. It's not going to help you burn fat at all. So therefore, you're going to gain fat a lot more easily. And this is where we get into how sleep impacts your body fat. The link between sleep and stress and belly fat is a very significant one, but it's usually overlooked when it comes to weight loss. I mean, the research plainly shows that sleep loss limits your fat loss and that quality of sleep is by far the most important thing. So I think we're viewing quality of sleep as being incredibly underrated. And it's also one of the biggest health factors in our lives, not necessarily to sleep more, but to sleep better because it's so important to muscle growth and fat loss and hormone regulation. When our hormones become imbalanced, then we end up craving things. We also end up more hungry because there's appetite regulating hormones that actually decrease our satisfaction level with food. So we pretty much become a mess. And on top of that, the elevated stress levels can trigger the release of cortisol, which is also a hormone, the stress hormone. And when that is chronically high, it's going to lead to fat storage in the abdominal area. Cortisol is also going to break down your muscle tissue and decrease testosterone and have effects on your thyroid. And there's a bunch of other things that are not so good. So that's why we try to avoid the release of cortisol and we try to keep our stress down if we want to get in shape or build muscle. And if all that wasn't bad enough, blood pressure increases along with everything else. So that 
is just a recipe for heart attack. So to put it in perspective as far as how important sleep is, there's actually doctors who coach athletes on only sleep. It's that big of a difference when it comes to athletic performance. So now that we know how important sleep is for our body as far as getting in shape, I'm going to go over three things to think about to improve your sleep and optimize your body's fat burning potential. The first one is having a sleep schedule, and that is a get-up time or wake time and a bedtime. So of course you want to aim to go to bed and wake up at the same time every day, even on the weekends to regulate your internal body clock. And I know that's not always easy, but you definitely want to make sure you at least wake up consistently. And this is also a great time now where at the end of the year to think of doing this for your New Year's resolution, because not only is it something that I think is pretty, not easy, but it's doable, um, but it's also going to make a huge difference in how you feel and how your body works. Now, going to bed early and waking up early would be the optimal sleep schedule for your hormones. The sun's activation of our penile gland and its association with waking us up is that important. What the different studies have shown as far as the optimal times are going to bed about 10 o'clock at night and 6 o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock at night and 7 a.m. was actually the most optimal. So seven to nine hours a night is what you want to aim for. The more work you do, whether it's in the gym or just work in general, you're going to require more sleep. Now, it's also been said that for every hour you get to sleep before midnight is like two hours of sleep quality. Your goal should then be to try to get to sleep at least before midnight, uh, definitely 10 or 11 o'clock. And the best way to do that is to have some sort of bedtime routine. Anytime we have a routine, it's going to make it much easier for us to adapt to this. And this is also focusing on healthy habits. Things that you repeat all the time are going to be good habits or bad habits. Creating a relaxing bedtime routine, which would be one of those things like uh, maybe having some tea or reading a book, practicing some meditation or, or reviewing on paper what you need to do the next day. Stretching would be another way, maybe some light yoga for 10 or 15 minutes. But anyway, something that you make up a bedtime routine that relaxes you and tells your body it's winding down, getting ready for bed. And that actually comes to number our number two objective here, and that is darkness and screen time. It's been shown that you want to have it as dark as possible in a room. Obviously, you want it comfortable to sleep. So dark and, and cool and quiet would be ideal. You also want to have it so dark that you can't get sunlight or moonlight in because according to the studies that sunlight or moonlight touching your skin, your body knows that it's still light. So the darker your room can be, the better. Now, when it comes to the phones and the computers, these electronic screens actually affect our melatonin levels. So we got to get rid of them to optimize our sleep. I know. Aww. So we want to avoid electronic devices with bright screens at least an hour before bedtime because that blue light can interfere with your body's natural sleep-wake cycle. So obviously, ideally, you wouldn't even look at a screen for three hours before going to sleep. And what some people do is they say, okay, three hours before going to sleep, no electronics. And I know that includes TV. And then two hours before bed, dimming the lights. So slowly working your body into that sleep cycle. So what I've done is I usually like to play like a little game of solitaire on the phone or something before I go to bed. So now in an effort to try to limit the screen time, I actually went to like Dollar Tree and got a word search book. And I'll do one or two of the word searches before I go to bed. And I also still have some of the adult color coloring books and regular coloring books because sometimes I just don't even want to wear the reading glasses to color. So I get the children's ones at the Dollar Tree because they have big, big lines in them and just, you know, relax and color because it is a very relaxing thing to do. That's just another way to wind down the brain 
as well. Otherwise, our thoughts are always racing. And if they're racing when we go to bed, that's not going to be good sleep either. The third thing to help us sleep better is vitamins. It's been shown that vitamin D3 is a big part of these circadian rhythms. And you can go up to about 8,000 IUs a day. Now, of course, the smart thing would be to get with your doctor and get your levels checked before you add any supplements into your daily routine. The second supplement that has to do with sleep is magnesium. The magnesium deficiency often disrupts sleep, so that's another thing you'll want to test for and talk to your doctor with. Some things say that magnesium sulfate and vitamin E can help you if you have trouble staying asleep, and that's kind of a whole other topic there as far as staying asleep through the whole night, but again, that's we'll get that next time. Let's start with little steps and see if we can get onto a good proper sleeping routine. Start with some little steps to create better sleep habits that will help not only with our workouts, but with our body fat decreasing. And of course, our energy and all that other stuff, we're going to feel great. And I'm sure you've probably heard hints of how sleep can affect your body and your weight loss and your hormones, and maybe you just didn't pay attention to it. But now we are bringing it to our attention because, you know, I think we all know that we're supposed to have better sleep habits. We just don't necessarily have the motivation or the incentive to do it. And if your body functioning properly and your body creating and keeping lean muscle and your body burning fat more effectively isn't enough motivation, I don't know what else will be. So consider getting some sleep as your motivation. Wait, does that make sense? So in this episode, motivation is all about getting sleep. And yes, I will be turning this into a YouTube video as well, so you can look for that in the near future. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to giving you all the insights to help you reach all of your goals and to help you get your best body ever. For more details about this podcast and other episodes, visit fitgirlpodcast.com.